Good morning, everyone. Please be seated as we come before the Lord in prayer. I read just recently, it's one of the favourite scriptures that's come to be one of my favourite scriptures, that as we pray, the Lord stoops down to listen. So let's come before him now. Loving God, we thank you that you are our loving Father who hears and answers our prayers. Thank you that we can talk to you about everything and all the things that concern us and worry us. And we thank you also for the many good things we have in our lives. There are many needs in the world today and we pray for those who have been affected by the floods in our nation. We pray that you will be with them all as they face the daunting task of cleaning up and rebuilding their homes and their lives. Father, we pray that you will send them the support and all that they need to help them at this time. Please bless them with your comfort and hope, Lord. We pray for our Prime Minister. Please hold him fast and strengthen him. We pray for the Leader of the Opposition and for all our elected members. Please bless them, encourage them and give them strength and wisdom greater than their own. Father, we know that you know them all. You know their motives, their hopes and their fears. And we pray that you will have, sorry, we pray that they will have an attitude of respect and cooperation and seek the best solutions for the many issues concerning our nation. May their hearts be open to your spirit, Lord. We also pray for the people suffering in the conflict in Myanmar. Please protect them and provide for their needs. We pray for justice for them and that one day soon they will have a fair and democratic system of government. We especially pray for your protection over the ministries of Pastor Andrew and Peter Simmons and the people they serve. Father, there are so many people who are hurting and in great need at the moment. As we approach Easter, please let the love of Jesus and the meaning of the cross be shared everywhere. All people need hope, love, peace and meaning in their lives. And we pray that this Easter they will discover that you are the only one who can give them those things because you love them. Will you just please take a moment now to name the people on your heart that you would like to see meet Jesus. Today we remember Palm Sunday, the day you entered Jerusalem for the last time before your death on the cross. Lord, we are so grateful for all that you did for us and that you are the risen Lord who can be with us every day. We thank you, Jesus, with all of our heart. Amen. Today is Palm Sunday, uh, and on that very first Palm Sunday, uh, the people came with an expectation that Jesus was going to do something. They, they might have had in their minds not quite right about what Jesus was all about, but there was an expectation. There was a looking forward to what Jesus was going to do. And it's just a reminder as we come today that we too have a sense of expectation. What is God going to be speaking to us 
what is he going to be doing in our lives? How is he going to be encouraging and spurring us on uh, to live out our faith? Um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, someone after the church said, I feel like I've got a word, and that is testimony. That testimony is really uh, going to be something that is helpful for us as a church. And I really want to encourage that. So uh, life leaders, if you hear in your life group something that's happened, uh, you might encourage them to say, hey, that would be good to share in front of the church. If you're having a chat afterwards and someone's having a coffee and they mention something that happened that God's been doing, you might tap them on the shoulder and, hey, it would be great for the church to hear that, that story. Uh, in fact, I was just talking with um, Willie out the front uh, before the service and she said she felt like she had a word. And I said, you've got to share that this morning because that is a perfect intro to this morning. So I'm going to get Willie up and she just wants to share with us something that the Lord put on her heart. Good morning. This is a story of encouragement um, in the form of a story. It's a story about Mahini. Mahini was a beautiful white tiger and he was given to President Eisenhower as a present from the American people in 1960. Now, um, Mahini's home came to be the Washington Zoo, and he was given an area of about four metres by four metres to live in. So Mahini found a path, like a circle, like an eight, and he paced and he paced and he paced that eight shape for a number of years and then somebody took pity on him a wealthy businessman donated a large sum of money so that they could build this beautiful enclosure for Mahini so that he could have all the things that he would have in the wild so on the day came and Mahini was transported into into his new habitat and people were so excited for him But what Mahini did was he paced that same pace and he never changed. He just kept on the circle eight. And this is the encouragement. I think so many of us, I know I do it too, we just get into this habit of doing the same thing in the same way year after year, day after day, when God has given us this incredible space for us to be creative, for us to grow. So I just want to encourage you to move out of going in a circle of eight and moving into a bigger space that God has out there and you'll think, wow, look what I was missing. Thank you so much. I know I'm, I know I'm touched by that word as well and reminded we all have our routines, don't we? So we are in the middle uh, of a series, Love Where You're At. And uh, really out of our, our vision for the year, which is to reach out and to be bearing fruit, I uh, really felt like uh, the second part of Jesus' great commandment, to love God with all our heart, mind and strength, And the second is like it, to love your neighbour as yourself. And we've been expanding what it means to be loving our neighbour as ourself. In the first week, uh, we looked at particularly that passage. And Jesus, uh, sometimes we we think, oh, who is our neighbour? And our neighbour is 
kind of everyone, and, and that is true, as Jesus said, but the word neighbour actually means those who are close by. It actually literally means our neighbour. And so the importance to actually be reaching out to our literal neighbours with no agenda. Love is love for love's sake. Um, sometimes we feel like we, we're, we're, we're uh, doing something in order that they might do something back for us. But no, to love is to love sacrificially. And then last week we talked about our spheres of influence and each one of us has a, a sphere of influence. If you like a, a, an imaginary bubble around us, everywhere we go, the places we go and the people that uh, are in touch with us in our lives are in our sphere of influence and we all have them. And we talked about your people, uh, your places and the passions that you have, whether that be um, something like bike riding or sewing, um, God can use those um, to build people around you uh, to have a sphere of influence. Now, interestingly, we can ask the same thing of us as a church. Church, who are our people? Who are the people that we as a church are in contact? What is our place? Well, that's kind of obvious. But what is our passions? Church, what is our local passion? As we look at many churches doing wonderful things, quite often churches are well known for one particular area, where whether that be outreach or worship or whatever it may be. And I'm asking the question, maybe the Lord is asking us what our passion is to be one of those ladders that we talked about, ladders to actually reach out into the community with the love of Jesus. So this week, I want to ask the question, how? It's all very well intentional to be to know, okay, we should. Uh, you know, it's commanded. But how do we actually love our neighbour as ourselves? How do we go about it? What is the method behind it? Now, I can't completely answer that question uh, in one message today, but I want to give some helpful insights for us as we leave this place today. I want to look at the passage from uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 to 16. So if you have your Bibles and you want to look, at, look that up ready, 1 Peter chapter 3, 13 to 16. But just as an introduction to this morning, I came across um, an article that was written about a columnist in the New York Times. His name uh, is David Brooks, and uh, he's a conservative columnist in the, in the New York Times and did a lot of social research into the culture of America at the moment. And I know it's America, but this is probably across all of the Western world. Uh, and it was just talking about the fact that we as a society are becoming more and more socially isolated. Uh, as the amount of technology we have and as, as cities are growing, and we, we might be coming closer together um, you know, geographically, but apart uh, socially and relationally. And, and he, he related a lot of issues that we see in our society around us with this first core idea that social isolation is a problem that is underlying a lot of our other problems. A lot of the problems that we see uh, derive from this sense of social isolation. Um, he then goes on in this article to, to mention that it's actually... Um, the ground-up organisations, things like churches and, and other um, organisations and groups that from the ground-up are tackling this issue. It's not the big kind of government 
systems or or things putting in place. It's it's the ground up, and he's and he he wanted to get this this nation of weavers. He talked about where all these small groups come together and do something about this this sense of, of isolation. Funny, well, it's not really funny. He then started up this non-for-profit organisation and he had to resign from it because he promoted it in the New York Times. And people had an outcry that you can't promote your own thing and so he had to resign from this wonderful uh, thing that was happening. So the context of our passage this morning speaks into a similar uh, worldview that that David was, was talking about. Peter is speaking to Christians living in a culture that is, has a strong animosity towards Jesus' teachings. And rather than uh, live in a way that is reactive to that or like the culture does, Peter says we've got to live in a different way. Rather than shouting back, rather than, than arguing or, or making a big point, he calls them to guard their words, to remain humble and to seek peace. So he says here from from verse 13, Now, who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? In in other words, you know, if if we're working and serving our community, you know, we really shouldn't really come under much animosity because we're we're doing good. However, even if we we do suffer for doing right, we should be, be confident because God is going to reward us for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Now, I just want to stop there for a moment because I think if we asked 100 people what is the main barrier to you sharing your faith and living out your faith in a real and and authentic way, I think 99% of people would say fear. Would that be true? That there is a a fear, there is a sense of... um, Maybe, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm scared about the, the, uh, the image that I'm portraying or, or how people will view me. And I think that's, that's really interesting. Uh, Jesus mentioned that we can't serve two masters. Either Jesus is Lord or, or we are Lord. And if we're Lord of our lives, then sometimes we might be scared about what people are going to think and about you know, how we're going to look if we, we share the truth. But Peter says, don't be afraid. Why? Because instead we must worship Christ as Lord. If Christ is Lord and we are worshipping him and we are living uh, for him, then we don't need to be worried about how we look. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Now, I've got a different version there. You might be used to the NIV that says, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone, everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So the first thing I want to talk about this morning from this passage is our message. How do we, we share this love with others? It is in our message uh, the word um, in the Greek here for an answer or defence is apologian. And we might be able to hear from that word. It's the word we get apology from. It's also the word we get uh, apologetics from. 
Uh, and so that is a verbal defence or a reason statement or argument. Uh, in fact, if you're interested in apologetics, next uh, semester the uh, CFC are going to be running a course on apologetics. And I think that every Christian should be confident in what he or she believes. I think that is very important. And that includes responses to tough questions, that we should be thinking through uh, those sorts of apologetic things. However, that is not the focus on Peter's message here in Scripture. He says that we should be ready to give an answer for what? Be ready to give an answer for how science might trump faith or how why there's suffering in the world when God is a, a loving God or add your other tough question here. No, he says give an answer for the hope that you have. Give an answer for the hope that you have, not just We've talked about hope heaps uh, from the platform. It's not just a cross your fingers, hope that the sport team's going to win, but a scriptural extraordinary anticipation that there is something better because of what God has already promised us. And as we talk about this, this social isolation pandemic hitting our society, hope and joy is going to be in short supply more and more and more. And we as Christians, as we live with this expectant hope, it's going to be obvious to those around us. And that's what Peter is saying. He's saying, live in a way that that others notice this hope. Now, this word hope is similar to what Paul uses uh, in his writings when he uses the term gospel. The term gospel is, is not wasn't originally a church or, or Christian word. Um, the word gospel was simply the announcement of victory. A king would come back from battle um, with a, a, an enemy uh, country or whatever, and he would an, there would be the announcement of peace, that the war is over, we have won, there is victory, uh, um, kingdom we don't need to be uh, on edge anymore, the victory has been won. We are now at peace ah, of the announcement of the gospel. That, that is where the, the word gospel comes from. And, and that is the announcement that we have, that Jesus has won the victory. Jesus has won the victory over sin and death. He is victorious. This is good news. And next week we are going to be focusing on the victory that Jesus has won at Easter. It's not a cross-your-fingers hope. It's an anticipation of the promise that he has. It's the announcement that Jesus has already won. Not that it's something that's going to happen. Not that if I participate, I might win something for him. No, it is the message that Peter is saying here. See, our message shouldn't really be what we're against. See, if we look in the, the uh, media, there is a lot about what um, perhaps um, the Christian church is against. And you meet people uh, today and, and you might mention that you're Christian. Oh, you're against this, you're against that, you're against, <laughs> against that. You see, our message to people shouldn't be what we're against. It should be what we're for. 
It should be about what God has already done. It should be about the freedom and the victory and the life that we have when we come to trust Jesus and the life that he has for those people who don't yet know him. As I was um, thinking about this passage, I was, was doodling and I, I did this nice little picture, beautiful picture, isn't it, uh, of, of the person on the left uh, who is a hope-filled Christian and living a life of hope uh, that, that even though the world might seem uh, crazy at the moment, we have this anticipation, this expectation of what God is promised to do. And, and there's the, the person who, who looks on and sees this person living out their faith and it's, and it's noticeable and it's attractive. And they ask, why are you like that? Why are you so hopeful? Don't you, don't you see what's happening in the world around us? How can you live this way? What, what is it? And that's what Peter's saying. When that person asks that question, be ready, be prepared for the answer. And what's the answer? It's the gospel. It's what has already been done. It is your testimony. No one can argue with your testimony. In fact, I was, I was um, meeting with Cody preparing for his baptism um, this week and I said one of the best testimonies in the Bible is when the, the blind uh, guy got healed by Jesus and he was being questioned. And there was all these questions put upon him. Who is this Jesus? Like, what's happened? Blah, blah, blah. And he kind of just said, stop. All of that stuff I don't know. I don't know that, but this I do know. I once was blind, but now I see. What is your testimony? What is your story about what Jesus has done, about how he has won in your life? It's sharing your story, and everyone has a story to tell. See, Peter's point is that when we live an attractive, hope-filled life, the message of the gospel is irresistible. For decades, I think the church has focused on slick presentations. Uh, we've got to get the words right. We've got to uh, say things a particular way. We've got to get people to, to, to line up with, with knowing the truth right. We've been focused on presentations when it comes to people who are far from God. But I'm convinced if we get better at conversations than presentations the Holy Spirit will make room for lots and lots of opportunities to share the hope of the gospel, to be focusing on conversations, not presentations. When was the last time you had a good old-fashioned, uninterrupted conversation with no agenda, just wanting to learn about someone's story? I think that's something that's profoundly missing in our culture, and I think your neighbours think that that's true too. So... What is your message? What is your testimony? What is your gospel-inspired story in a conversation that you tell someone when they ask you the hope that you have? Second thing is our manner. Whose mum said to them when they were little, mind your manners? (laughs) My mum used to say it to me a lot. Um, Our manner is very important when it comes to loving our neighbour. It says here, do this in a gentle and respectful way. You see, our manner has the potential 
to either draw people to Jesus or draw people away from Jesus with the way that we speak and the way that we respond. You know, we have the greatest message in the world. The gospel is the most wonderful message. But if it is presented in a way that is vulgar or obnoxious or harsh or rude or proud, then no one's listening anyway. No one's listening anyway. And if we turn on the TV or watch documentaries or look on social media, I'm sure we can find lots of examples uh, that we might go, oh, really, do you have to do it like that? Um, yeah, I see, um, you know, particularly in America at the moment where there's a lot of hostility, um, there are a number of people going out and, and, and again, it's, it's, it's coming at a point of, you know, if you start with telling someone that they're going to hell, then they're probably not going to listen to anything you say beyond, beyond that. But that's some people's approach. And not only are they not loving their neighbour, but they're putting people off the message of Jesus. Paul, in a similar way in Colossians, says, Be wise. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity and let your conversation, there it is again, not your presentation, but your conversation, be always full of grace and seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. You know, when I was thinking up of this series, Love Where You're At, I chose those words particularly because I thought about a play on words in that, you know how sometimes you might say to someone, hey, man, where you at? <laughs> hey, where are you at, buddy? And what you're actually really asking is, where are they at personally? Like, what, how are they going emotionally in their life? What's, what's really going on in, in their life? And we are to love where we're at. We are to love in a way that is real and authentic and is true to who we are and where we're at. And I think sometimes uh, there's this idea that we have to present as this perfect uh, human being that has got it all together and knows all the answers and lives the perfect life. And as we present this image, we actually present something that people look at and is pretty unrelatable. But as we love where we're at, as we are authentic and honest and real and we say, you know what, oh, I'm, I'm broken, you know, I, I've, I've got struggles, but Jesus is with me. And Jesus has saved me and he's healed me and he's, he's given me freedom and joy. And I, I don't have it all together and I, and I meet together with a bunch of people that don't have it all together. And we come and we, we praise Jesus for what he's done and we acknowledge our brokenness and he picks us up and he encourages us and he gives us the strength to go on. That is about loving where you're at. That is about being real in the way that our manner speaks. I'm going to move on because of time. And thirdly, how do we love, how do we love our neighbour as ourself? It is to be aware of our moments. I think this is really important, to be aware of our moments. In fact, if we go back,
Make the most of every opportunity. Do you know that there is opportunities day after day after day coming across our path and that we need to make the most of every opportunity? It's the divine moments, the moments that are coming to us every day. Again, uh, from our Peter passage, said, always be prepared. Now, if those moments aren't coming, then we don't need to be prepared. We don't need to be ready. But as the God of all creation who orchestrates all things and, and puts people across other people's paths, he knows who is going to intersect and who is going to meet in that day. And it might be that as, as he orchestrates someone to walk into your life at a particular time and a moment, that is going to be the person that's going to ask you for the reason, for the hope you have. And that's why he says to be prepared, to, to look for those moments. I believe that God will bring people upon in your path to intersect with your life every day, especially if you pray for it, especially if we are praying for it and we are expecting it in our lives then we'll be open, our eyes will be open and ready and looking and waiting and anticipating for those divine appointment activities. See, not only are we reliant on the Holy Spirit's empowering to be able to share and to love with those around us, but we've got to be aware of the Holy Spirit's activity as he opens up doors and he opens up opportunities for us. Uh, in our lives. Um, I know I've, I've shared this particular passage before, but I love in Acts 8 where Philip uh, uh, meets the Ethiopian eunuch. And Philip, first of all, is inspired, hears the Holy Spirit speak to him to go to a particular place in the town. You know, he's going about his day, and, and first of all, he, he doesn't know beyond that what it's going to be. He says, no, no, Holy Spirit says to him, move over here. And when he's there, when he's obedient to that, that first uh, leading of the Spirit, there he sees uh, the Ethiopian reading uh, the Scriptures. And there the Holy Spirit says, go, go and speak to him. There's that divine appointment. And so, so Peter from the, uh, Philip from the outset is, is open and listening to the Spirit in his life uh, for what those opportunities are going to be. And um, I think sometimes we're very good at listening to the Holy Spirit in a worship environment, in a church environment. How good are we at listening to the Holy Spirit in our spheres of influence, in our day-to-day mundane, looking after the kids, doing the housework, going to work? We're great at listening to the Spirit to give us a word in here, but how good are we at listening to the Holy Spirit guiding us and opening up doors for us in our spheres of influence? Good question. In fact, uh, Joe and I have coined this funny phrase to do with our son, Joel. Joel is the most generous, fun-loving kid there is, uh, to the point that he loves fun above everything else. And he will be in this moment of fun, and we can say his name two, three, five, ten times, and he won't hear his name because he's in what we call his tunnel of fun. 
That, and, and until he gets to the end of his tunnel of fun, he's not really aware of, of what <laughs> we're talking about because he's, he's just kind of in, in there. And sometimes we're saying, Joel, 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 and he's, he's just not open to and, and, and listening to it because he's, he's just in his world. I wonder if that's sometimes a picture of us in our workplaces, in our homes, that we're just focused on uh, the priority of, of what we're doing rather than opening up and being aware and listening to the voice of the Spirit. As I was sharing uh, what I was going to preach this morning, my beautiful wife has just walked in the back with the tribe. Hi, tribe. How you doing? Got all the packages done up? They look amazing. Fantastic. Wonderful. Thank you for doing that today. Um, Joe, Joe as, I, as I was talking about what I was going to preach on, she came up with this picture, and it's this beautiful picture. Sorry, my left eye is watering, and I don't know why, so excuse me. Um, this beautiful picture, and it was this. Imagine an orchestra. In an orchestra, there are violins, cellos, woodwind, brass, timpani, percussion, you know, all, all these, these different instruments. And, and as all the instruments are all played together, it makes, makes beautiful music. And it's a bit like that, that God is the one who orchestrates life. And he is calling different people to intersect and to, to have relationship and conversation. And he is calling us to participate with his orchestra. That each of us, as we play our instrument, we participate with the beautiful music that he is, he is orchestrating in the world around us and our part to play. And so imagine as God is the conductor, he's sitting there conducting the music and everyone's looking at their music and, the, and, and your, your time is ready to come and, and he points to you to do your part and you're looking at your music or you're, you're listening to what other people are doing and you miss the moment. You miss the moment for your part to play. And the conductor goes on, keep conducting and points to the next person to play their part. What are your moments? What, what is your, your gift? What is your instrument as you participate in God's ongoing mission in the world as we participate with what he's doing as we love our neighbor what are our moments what are our now now times that god is orchestrating and calling us to you see we have a wonderful message to proclaim the gospel is the most wonderful message that the world has to proclaim life and freedom and hope and joy in our lives. And we have a saviour who has modelled the way to share that message with humility and gracefulness and love. And we have a God who wants us to participate with him in his ongoing mission in the world and be open to his Holy Spirit leading moments. That article that spoke about what's happening in our world with social isolation. I think our 
our message and our manner and our moments can really speak into that scene and make a difference as we long to love our neighbour as ourself. Just want to end with a with a thought and I really want to, you to take this home with you, maybe write it down, dwell on it, think about it as you're driving to work. You know, I think for many, many decades, perhaps society views the church this way. There's this been this mode of operating, which is to share the truth, to proclaim it, um, you know, to, to preach it, to, to, to put it out there, and then to live our lives. And I think that's a mode of operating that we see across Western churches, is to share the truth, you know, you can, you can do that, and then you get this, this response back, well, you can believe that, but as long as it doesn't affect anyone else, that's okay. You've heard that, haven't you? Share the truth and live our lives. And I wonder if, if we should switch that around. What God is calling us to do is to share our lives in conversation, in, in testimony, in loving our neighbour, and in living the truth they will see the difference. As we live out the truth of what God wants for us and we live out the truth of the Scriptures, as we live out the truth of following Jesus with our whole heart, soul and mind and love our neighbor as ourselves, people go, wow, there's something different about you. And they, when they ask what is that difference, we have the opportunity to be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you call us to participate with you and that in the notion of loving our neighbour as ourselves can sometimes be scary. It can sometimes, we can have this sense of fear. But God, you are a good God and you orchestrate moments. Lord, I just want to encourage uh, everyone here as we, as we take this message and as we think about how to, to share our lives and to live the truth, Lord, that you would be opening our eyes to opportunities, opening our eyes to give a reason for the hope that we have in you. And so, Lord, as we, we sing this next song, again, we just ask that we sing as a prayer and that you'd be awakening us to how you want to use us, to the people, to the places, to the moments, to the message, to our manner. How might we go out and live this life that you've called us to live? So inspire us, Lord Jesus. Empower us, Lord Jesus. And enable us to love our neighbour as ourself with our message, with our manner, and with the moments that you give us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Calvary on the cross. Thank you, Lord, that we're able to enter into your presence. Thank you, Lord, for the ability to use that testimony for what you've done for us and share with those around us and share the amazing God that you are. Thank you, Lord. Do you want to come up? Yeah, we, we talked about testimony being important. Grab that mic there. My name's Anne. Anne Winkle. I'm Jim, Jim and Lynette Winkle's daughter and I'm here from Melbourne and I came in this morning with a story on my heart and I didn't know what Willie was going to say. So just briefly, Willie talked about being in that small enclosure and I was in that place and I just want to tell you that God is with you in that place. And if you feel you're still in that little enclosure, then he is with you and you're able to live. I, I married my beautiful husband, John, 20 years, 22 years ago and we moved into his family home. And for me, it was like a prison. His parents and his grandparents' stuff were in that house. I never thought it was my house. And I thought we weren't going to be there a couple of years, but my husband was very sick with chronic fatigue syndrome and we couldn't move. And I remember going back to Seaton where I was as my t- in my teens and Jill Steele, the beautiful Jill Steele, prayed with me about three years into my marriage. And I learned I couldn't hate that house. I had to love that house because hating that house was hurting me. And she prayed with me and something changed and I was able to live and know God's presence with me in that space. But 20 years went by and I got to the point where I was praying, God, I need to be in a different place. And he did a miracle and he did a real miracle and he brought me out of that house into the most beautiful home. And it was a miracle. It was a community effort, the prayers of my church, the help of my family. And in that, I just want to say to you, I have learned to be content whether I am abased or I abound. Through Christ's strength, we can be whole in the little tight places where we feel it's impossible. But he will also free us and bring us into the bigger places. But he's with us in both. I just wanted to share that. Fantastic. Thanks Thanks for that, your story and what a great encouragement. Um, thank you, music team. Thank you, Sam, for such a powerful message. And, yeah, just looking forward to all of us actually having an opportunity or many opportunities this week to have a conversation and that it won't be daunting uh, because it's just an opportunity to tell our story and that the Lord will give us the words to say and that conversation or those conversations will actually have eternal consequences. So that's my prayer and my word of encouragement. That's my takeaway from the message today, Sam. Thank you. Um, here we go. We've got a, a little friend coming up to join us. See his dad. That's that's fantastic. So yeah, so what's next? Uh, obviously an opportunity to, to hang back for a while, have a, have a chat with someone, have a cup of coffee or tea. If you come uh, wanting prayer today, our prayer team is in the prayer room. I notice there's even a little sign showing where that is now. So it's just off to the right um, as, you, as you head toward the back of the auditorium. Um, someone will stand or sit with you and pray on, on any matter. Um, yeah, encourage you as you give. Uh, obviously offering at the back the Alice Springs uh, baskets up up here at the front as well. Uh, If you didn't get a chance to grab that little flyer I showed about Easter to hand on to a friend or family member or neighbour, encourage you to to grab one or more of those and and hand that on and just look forward to who might uh, be here with us um, next 
next Friday and, and Sunday as well. So, yeah, just uh, God bless you all. Um, thanks for being part of this, whether you're here today or online. Trust that you really sense the Lord and that he's spoken to you uh, in this place. And, yeah, look forward to catching up with you all next week. Thank you.